All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, this is Dave Pullen. You're on Nasty Knuckles. listening to Nasty Knuckles, the Hockey Outlaws podcast, with your host, Terry Nasty Sotomayor, and former Philadelphia Flyer Enforcer, Riley Cote, as they go behind the scenes with your favorite NHL players. Time to face off. Welcome back. What's happening, Nasty? What's up, Riggs? What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> what do you got going on, I'm buddy? excited. New, I, yeah. new little uh, yeah. location here. Debo said change it up today. Yes, he did. So we, we listened. We listened to him. Two eppies this week. You got to change it up. You got to change it up a little bit. Sipping on some clear this morning? I, saw, or I was. You were? <laughs> I was. More than sips. That's the second bottle. I just put the new one up. Just so you're aware. Well, no wonder you can't focus this morning. Oh, my God. Rallying you. Is like, yeah, I see your handwriting. Dogs. I wish people could see <laughs> what I'm witnessing right now. Oh, but I was anyway. with my right hand, so. Yeah, I got you. So what's happening? Uh, not much, man. Uh, since we last talked two days ago yeah. <laughs> with our last pod, uh, only thing Flyers had going on was uh, they played home against the Kings. Yes. And they ended up losing in overtime. Good game. They fought back. Um, Torch seemed to be happy with yeah. their play. I uh, said they looked really slow at first, but uh, picked it up, and uh, they got another point. So another I know point. you're uh, you're hoping and praying on Bedard, but more points you get, <laughs> and it's not happening. Yeah, it's not happening. Well, Never thought it would, but uh, yeah. I don't want to lose anyway. No, no one who does? Likes who does? So. so no one's deliberately tanking. So uh, yeah, honest effort. Yeah, squeeze out a point. Yeah. 
again, continuing with their, their momentum the last, uh, I guess, 13, 14 games, squeezing out points and trending in the right direction anyways. Yeah, for sure. What else? Talk. talk in action. Talk wins his first game and gets booed. Wow. And Didn't a, see jersey, that one. a jersey came on the I ice, too, is uh, what Baller told me. I, I actually missed that, but um, it happens. It happens. It happens. It they, happens. they got shit kicked the next night, mm-hmm. last night, unfortunately. But um, wishing him all the best, man. He's a good dude. We're going to get to run into him when we get out to Van in yeah, a few weeks. Absolutely. So. And there was a nice little tribute by Biz uh, on TNT there with uh, <laughs> yeah. the King Henrik Lundqvist uh, playing the Green Day song "Time of Our Time of Our Life." I know, um, and he did a hell of a job. He did. He did well. I almost uh, was in tears. Were you? Were you? You're you're a sensitive guy, Cuddles. Sensitive I mean, guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where that name came from. But uh, yeah, now one really cool thing last night: uh, Ridley Gregg played his first NHL game last night for Ottawa. He was drafted um, 28th overall in the first round in 2020. And uh, he assisted on Claude Giroux's uh, yeah. goal last night. Yep. And they ended up winning the game 2-1. to one. And uh, his dad, Mark Gregg, a good friend of ours, played uh, a little bit with the Flyers, played mainly with the uh, Phantoms, uh, played in Hartford. He was drafted number 15 overall way back in 1990. Yep. Um, so it was really cool to see Ritter... Uh, get his first game, you know, sent him out there, no Bucky, yeah. you know, for his little lap. and um, Third star. Yep, third star of the game. It was really, really cool. So congratulations yeah. to um, – Proud Pops, too. Yeah, eh? Ritter, yeah, and G and, and uh, Twiggy, Twiggy, his wife. Yeah, um, pretty cool. Pretty cool night. Yeah, no doubt. Would be exciting as a, as a father, especially yes. playing the game and – uh, you know, being connected to the Flyers, he's scouting for the Flyers, and uh, he was a sniper, man. He was a sniper. Yeah, player, oh, man. gee, he, yeah. If the game was where it is now, you know, the way the game's played, he would have NHL his whole career. Like yeah. he scored, he did everything. Yeah, um, really good player. He was a captain of the Phantoms for years, and uh, one of my good buddies. So yeah, really, really cool to see. Well, wish him the best. Uh, hopefully, he can stick up uh, for for yeah. a little while and that'd be nice. Make a make a mark. Make some money. Make some money. Yeah, absolutely. Nas, we got a special guest here. We in the do. House. Today we have Adam Bortz, who is the director of the Lehigh Valley Winter Classic in the house, talking about this upcoming event February fourth in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Come on into Adam, the new studio, Adam. Welcome, welcome. Get in here. Somebody got a phone book I can stand <laughs> yeah, on. Prop this guy I'd be up. Be tough, though. You two on my wing. Yeah. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Thanks so much for having us on, guys. Uh, really, really appreciate you letting us use your platform to kind of talk about what we do and who we help. Yeah, no, thanks awesome. for coming out making the trek from uh, Lehigh Valley. Why don't you talk a little bit about the event? I've participated in the past. Awesome event, what you guys do, and happy to support again. So Yeah, thanks. This is your third time, I believe, third out time, there? Third time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. Happy to have you again. Uh, I'll give you, like, kind of the elevator pitch of, of what this is, and then maybe we can unpack a couple pieces over here and there. But the elevator pitch is... This is an outdoor hockey event, outdoor hockey game in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And uh, we it goes from like 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. at night. There's about 18 teams that play in it. And the reason for its existence, the sole reason it exists, is to serve as a fundraising vehicle for Lehigh Valley Special Hockey, this polar bears team that's a special needs team. Um, and uh, they kind of like adapt the game for individuals with cognitive and physical disabilities. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah it again, I've, I've, been, I've been there before and seen the work you guys do. 
uh, I've participated in some of these polar bear practices and have yep. built relationships with some of the players. It's, it's amazing, right? It's yeah. just giving uh, these, these players an opportunity to get ice time and community and the whole bit. So amazing work you're doing and happy to support, you know, being able to drum up a few Flyers alumni too along the way. Absolutely. Help support the events. So. Yeah, we're going to have, uh, along with uh, Riley this year, we're going to have Bill Clement back. He's been kind of a staple for the past couple of years and has helped us out a ton. Uh, tremendous human being. And uh, Scott Hartnell is going to be there as well. Oh, bird dog. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, we're, we're real pumped. Yeah. Uh, and it's free to the public. Um, from, I believe, 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock, we're going to have you guys signing autographs and, you know, meeting uh, people and fans and talking to them and stuff like that. And uh, then I believe you're going to be coaching a period or so for yep. the special hockey teams that are going to play. So uh, we're really looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, Adam, I am going to promise you that I will work on his signature yeah. over the next uh, it's few days. Rough. <laughs> it's a little rough. It's a little rough, yeah, to say the least, to say the least. At least you know it's mine. Yes, I, that's a good point. Good point. But uh, I'm forging that one. Well, what, a, what a great event, man. It's, nice. It's, it's, it's so awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's really important, and a couple things I just want to want to communicate to everybody listening today. Um, I'll give you three examples, kind of why I think this is a, a really important event. Uh, the first example, you know, there's these junior coaches that we have and we give them scholarships every year. I sit on the board and uh, there's um, like a form that, you know, you can fill out and parents can give like recommendations of why this particular coach is so great and uh, why they're so deserving of a scholarship. And one of them that sticks out in my mind was this kid was there for. I don't know. And these kids like in high school are way more mature than I know. I was at <laughs> that age for sure. Um, but they, um, this one particular kid formed a relationship with a player and the family had said one day in school, you know, I guess their, their child, uh, special needs is in like a special needs classroom. When I went to school, they were kind of separated from the rest of the population. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this kid passes his coach in the hallway and gives him a fist bump. And like, if it weren't for this organization even existing, that interaction would never have happened. The family's like, it's changed our kid's life. Like, yeah, that's, that's it's so, so important. Right? Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, if we don't do what we do and, and fundraise for this organization, stuff like that wouldn't happen. You know, yeah, that's super yeah. awesome. That's and, awesome. Uh, you know, the, the second kind of reason I think this is uh, super important is I have a lot of parents come up to me during the event and th this kind of happens every year in a little bit different way. But I'll give you kind of the synopsis is a parent will come up and say, like, you know, when we found out about our child's diagnosis, uh, we had thought like they're not going to have any friends. They're never going to any parties. They're not going to have the same childhood that a kid without special needs would, would have, you know, and through special hockey, they're able to go to kids' birthday parties. They have friends, they go to away games, they so are on the bus and we know how important that is. Yeah, and that time right. you spend with your boy, you know? So like, um, that would not have happened if we don't do what we do. And that's really cool. And then the third thing I think, you know, that I don't often talk about when I speak about it publicly that my wife, to like drilled into my head today that she wanted to remind me to speak about is how important this is for the parents as well. You know, we always talk about the kids and what it does for their development and that stuff's awesome and it's great. But like, okay, I had a, I have a two year old 
and she freaked out in the lobby of a target the other day and had this like meltdown and a parent a special hockey parent could have a 14 year old with autism have that same episode and i can say oh my daughter too man i know what that feels like i'm so sorry but like i don't i Mm -hmm, no idea what that is like and now through growing what we've grown uh you know we've been able to cultivate this community of all these other families that know exactly how that feels. Yeah, right. And it's so important, you know, and the moms can get together on wine night and just talk about it and, and be there for each other. And that's, that's really important. You know, when, uh, when we started the program, this is our 10th year. Uh, I think there was about five families that were involved and uh, they had to pay for everything. They bought their skates, they bought their sticks, they paid for ice time. Uh, I don't think they were going to maybe, yeah, like five away games, maybe a season at that point. And over the course of what we've done, we've raised about $350,000 now. Wow. We've grown their program to, I think it's 37 families now, and it's completely subsidized. Wow. They have home jerseys, away jerseys. They go to tournaments. They do the buses. They have banquets, and they don't pay a dollar. Wow. And, uh, and and it's, you know, all of the donations and all of those those corporate sponsorships that we get go directly to that. We don't take any proceeds. We don't turn a profit. It goes right to the kids and their families. And it's super important that everybody listening, you know, donate um, – if you can't donate, I would say like or share even this podcast, yeah. you know, and help us get the word out about what we're doing. It, it goes a really long way. Yeah, That's awesome. hundred percent. Super powerful stuff. You know, you say mm-hmm. hockey is for everybody. It really is. Right. And um, you mentioned the community, but it's like that family that's that's cultivated within the locker room. Hockey is sports are special. Right. But Big there's time. something really special about the hockey community and people band together and support each other and absolutely creating that community as you mentioned is super super important for sure for sure and a community that you know those kids may not have been a part of you know and and it's just it's it's just i love what we do we're so blessed to do it and you know we want to keep doing it for the foreseeable future Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you hopping on and, and, and sharing this with us. Again, remind the viewers and listeners uh, the date and time. Uh, one more time. Just sure. So where, it's where uh, Saturday, February 4th at Bethlehem Municipal Ice Rink. And uh, it starts about 8 a.m., goes to about 10 p.m. And free autographs, uh, meet and greet with, uh, with the guys are from 1 to 2. Awesome. There's food, there's cheesesteaks, there's fries. Like, come hungry. Nasty. You know. Oh. You better be coming. You, you love your cheesesteaks. I haven't had fr- a cheesesteak in forever, but I do want one. You just said that. I'm hungry. Demo, let's go. Yeah, yeah. You get your milkshakes there, too. Yeah. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Adam, I apologize for this guy. Uh, but oh, seriously, thank you for coming on, man. This is, is a great event, and I know... It, it's so important, and every, for everything you just said, it kind of explains it all. So, yeah, thank you. Happy it. to support. Looking forward to it. We're gonna bring Great. my girls and, and have awesome. a good time there. So, can't wait. Appreciate you making the trek and uh, supporting us here and, and hopping on. So, and Riggs, we have another event coming up. We do. Um, and you have a great story about <laughs> where we're going. We have fans of Philly. Yes, coming up. We are going to Seattle. Mm-hmm. End of the Roxy. I mean, Van. Oh, yeah. um, but we're starting off in Seattle. See our buddy Dave, Dave Haxtall. Um, it's going to be awesome. But we have a great story real quick that Adam told us about his uh, visit this week out there. You got to tell the listeners, please. Yeah. So uh, I was out in Seattle for work, and I ended up swinging by the Kraken practice facility. And this thing is like 
unbelievable state-of-the-art just aesthetically it's gorgeous but like the tech and all of the new stuff in it is unlike anything i've ever seen before right so i'm watching the zam go around the ice after one of these little kids practices and this thing shoots up at the back the thing looks like a bass boat there's like this dashboard with all these <laughs> buttons and lights and all the stuff i'm like what is going on here so i stopped the zam driver after he gets off and he's like dumping his ice and stuff and i'm like what is that? Like, what's going on here? Why does it sound like a Prius? You know, it's like not <laughs> yeah, loud, yeah. you know? And uh, I'm like, okay. So he, he starts telling me, you know, there's this laser eye mounted to the wall where the Zamdor is. And it like looks out over the ice and figures out, extrapolates where all the low and the high spots are on the ice. And this thing tells the Zamboni how to raise and lower the blade to cut the ice, the most mathematically perfect sheet you could possibly wow. imagine. And like a typical Zamboni has, you know, those little water jets that spout out and then the towel comes out the back and it smooths it and, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit. This doesn't have that. It's got these like, I don't know, a hundred little mister nozzles on the back of it. And the same thing tells each mister exactly the frequency of water to spray out the back Gosh. again to make this thing like glass. So every cut is consistent and it's beautiful. So this guy is like, you know, showing me around and showing me like where they dump the ice and all this other stuff. And we start to talk and I'm telling him about the event, you know, that, that we just talked about. And he's like, Lehigh Valley. I know exactly where that is. I'm from Anaheim and... You know, uh, I'm like, how do you know that you're from Manhattan? You know, and he's like, well, um, my brother played in Lehigh Valley for a little bit and he's, he's on the flyers now. I'm like, dude, no, like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, right? Yeah, right. So he starts showing me family pictures and, uh, it's freaking Cam York's brother. Wow. <laughs> so, so if you guys are, are in Seattle at all, you know, look for the dude with the mullet. It's Cam York's brother and tell him you love the Flyers. Yeah. yeah. I want to see well, a Bodie ride. Yeah, I know, right. So, Yorkie, we got it. We'll have to talk to you about that, Yorkie. But uh, it's a great story. We started laughing. Yeah, I know. That's, that's amazing great. technology where it's going. Hey, who would have thought the Zamboni could be improve that much? But I guess that's where it's going, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to increase that quality of light or quality of ice. Yeah. Uh, well, for the youth hockey players, but specifically yeah. the pros, you invest that kind of money into a building. But super cool. Yeah, yeah we're looking yep. forward to checking that out. That's Hope we awesome. can get, there, get over there while we're in Seattle. All uh, right. All right, Nast. You know what time it is. I know what time it is. Episode 103 with our good friend Dave Poulin, former captain of the Philadelphia Flyers. This episode is presented to you by Cureleaf. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of their 18 locations across the Commonwealth or visit cureleaf.com forward slash locations. Nasty, you're already sleeping. Let's go. Let's go. Welcome back. I'm Riley Cote. And I'm Derek Settlemeyer. And this week, we are so pleased to have a former Flyers captain. This guy's done it all, actually. TSN analyst, uh, player, been in management, coached, the moose, Mr. Dave Poulin. Dave, what's going on, my man? Well, that's a nickname I don't hear often anymore. <laughs> uh, I remember that as a kid. I remember that. That's so funny. And, and, Nicknames are different in different places for me, actually. I've, I've had a few different ones along the way. And when I, I visit and, you know, I see someone like Paul Holmgren, and I'm like, hey, Moose, how you doing? And people turn around like, who is he talking to? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I did have a different life. And I had a few different lives. But 
you know what? I had such a fun and great ride in Philly uh, from 83 to 90 and just a great bunch of guys and keep in touch with a number of them. And, and through, the, through that time, um, I was probably Pooley or Moose most of the time through those years, I would say to most. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, I, re- I remember that uh, being a kid coming up to visit Sudsy, uh, my dad, and uh, I just remember guys calling you that. So it's funny. Like, so Lynn- the genesis of the name, Derek, was um, we all worked at the same gas station in high school, and we had a great job. So the gas station was right next to the high school, and we could go over, and there were two different shifts, but the owner let us work out the schedule so we could work around our hockey schedules. So it was great. You know, you can work two days a week pumping gas and make a little bit of spending money. And when I walked in to get the job, I was 15 years old and I was with a defenseman on our team. And when I was 15 years old, I was five foot three and he was six, three. He was big, tall, rangy kid, you know? And so they called me every name in the books, right? I was shorty. I was stretch. (laughs) I was a million different names. And one day, uh, one of the mechanics called me moose. And from that day forward, I was moose at the gas station. Wow. And my paychecks were made out to moose pooling. I mean, the owner, I don't even oh. think he knew I had a name. <laughs> my sister worked at the bank so we could cash the checks. But uh, And then and then it, it died down. I wasn't moose in college. And it might have been one of my first games in Toronto. The boys had a big bed sheet up on the end of the rink. And it said, you're in moose country. And it was Paul Holmgren that picked it up from that day forward. With the Flyers, I was Moose. Oh, wow, awesome. super interesting. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that story. <laughs> that's had great. no idea. So uh, what are you up to these days? Kind of tell us what's going on in your world. So I've been back in TV or, or back in Canada in TV for nine years now, which is really hard to believe. This is nine full seasons. And I had come back to Toronto to work for the Leafs uh, when Brian Burke took over the Leafs in 2009. I was working in private industry in Chicago. I'd stepped away from hockey completely for a couple of years and 
I came back as the vice president of hockey operations for the Leafs. I did that for five years. And then when Brendan Shanahan came in in 2014, he basically changed out the whole staff. And so I didn't know what I was going to do. It was, it was the summer. It was late summer, late July of 2014. And I thought, well, I'm just, you know, I'm back in Canada. I'd been back for four or five years and I'm, I'm just going to hang out and see what happens. And actually both TV networks, the TV deal in Canada had just changed and the big deal had just been signed, the big 12 year deal. And both networks called and the first network was Sportsnet that, that got the deal. And they said, you know, we've got all kinds of opportunity here. We've just signed a 12 year deal. We're going to be the national provider. Um, you know, you can do color, you can do studio, you can do, we'll try you wherever you'd like. You've got all kinds of opportunity. And the next day I met with TSN and, and the executive producer of hockey there, he said, you know what? We really don't have anything for you. Um, we don't know where we're going regionally and we don't have any seats or any opportunity at all. <laughs> I kind of laughed. I said, I think I'll take that one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I didn't know if I wanted to do TV. Actually, when I was walking in, it was shortly after I'd been fired and I was walking in to meet the first meeting and a team called and they said, look, you know, we'd like you to come to work for us. And I said, well, like when? And they said, well, like right now. And I said, well, I, I'm literally walking in. I'm standing outside a restaurant. I'm going to meet with an executive producer and I don't really think I want to do TV, but you know, and I'm going to talk to them. And he said, well, give me a ring back. You've got a job here. Just know that right now. And so I had all these things swirling through my head and I needed to really sit back and see what I wanted to do. And I thought TV was a good seat to do that from. I had no intentions of, of making it a full-time gig. And I started out on a show called That's Hockey Tonight, TH2N. And that would have been in all the locker rooms around the country. It was a late night show. And... And, you know, I had no, no real training or anything and just kind of sat in a couple nights and then jumped in and gradually just did more and more. So to explain where I'm at today, I, I arguably sit in seven or eight totally different silos, um, all with TSN. Well, not all, actually not all with TSN. So the first, the first channel would be uh, with the Leafs. We have four regional teams. With the Leafs, I do the studio panels. So, okay. you know, 26, 28 games and uh, the main panel is uh, James Duffy and Jeff O'Neill and Darren Drager and myself. It started out to be Bobby McKenzie and he retired. Cheryl Pounder is also a big part of it now. And then the second part is color for Montreal. And so two totally different jobs sitting in the studio is totally different from <laughs> prepping to do color. And that's been about five or six years now. And I'll do 32, 34 Montreal games this year, uh, either in Montreal or wherever they are on the road. Uh, I'll do either or panel or studio for Ottawa and then or color or panel. And then I'll also do Winnipeg games. And that's mostly studio work. Wow. And from there, um, the show Sports Center, that's hockey with Gino Rado. I'll do portions of those. I'll jump in there. Um, I'll do radio, I'll do regular radio hits around the country. I do Sirius, which comes into the U.S. on Tuesday mornings and do some of the TSN networks in, I do Winnipeg, I do Ottawa, I do Toronto. Uh, and then I write, which is really crazy. I'm writing an article right now and a friend of mine got involved with the ownership of the Toronto Star. So big national newspaper. And he called me one day and he said, Hey, do you want to write? And I said, write what? 
<laughs> well, you, you can write whatever you want. And, and I felt, well, I, I've never written. Like, I've never done this. I've never tried it. So he said, well, just, you know, he said, told me the length. And, and so I wrote five pieces just on my own to see what, like, what does 1,200 words even look like? I don't even know what that looks like. And I don't <laughs> know how long it would take to think it through. So I wrote one about um, my golf course. I wrote one about American Thanksgiving, like not even hockey related topics, just to see if I could put words to paper. If you can sit down with a piece of paper and, and write something down. And I thought, oh, you know, I might be able to do this. I wrote my 80th article wow, last amazing. Sunday. So I write every wow. Sunday in the Toronto Star. This is my third year. I'm stunned um, that I've come up with topics. So I don't write about a game specifically. I, I write about something. And so, you know, like recently I would tell you, uh, I wrote about um, Guy Lafleur's, you know, the passing of Guy Lafleur and a couple of stories about me playing against him. But I was in the Montreal Forum the night they did the tribute. So the Leonard Cohen song, um, just phenomenal phenomenal um you know the the frank sinatra i did it my way and and so i, I just kind of write like kind of offbeat columns um the one i'm working on today i did tuesday night's game against boston and and so i'm just shaping it out right now but it's going to be something along the theme of what does a five loss team look like in late january like, yeah, right. wow. like a five yeah. losses guys five. crazy and and so I sort of write the why and how of it. Um, and, you know, I, I'll talk to people through the process. I talk to a lot of people in the game at all different levels. And, and, and back to, you know, what I do in my day job, as I would put it. Um, when something happens in the game, if I'm doing color and something happens in the game side, am I going to say what happened as a player, as a coach, as a manager, as a fan, <laughs> as an analyst um and so that's what that's what i really love about it you know like like i'm gonna watch i don't know taking nick suzuki tonight and he's gonna so here's a good example the other night nick suzuki eight and oh against patrice bergeron in the first period in the face-off circle wow eight no and so he was nine and oh but he'd beaten patrice eight times and so so that to me is now i'm starting to tell it from patrice's angle and saying okay if I'm a coach, I walk up and I just hand Patrice the uh, the game sheet after the first, so he remembers maybe <laughs> that he's that he's a shocking owner. He runs it like 63%. He's one of the best faceoff guys in the league. So I said to my broadcast partner on air, "What?" They took the opening faceoff second period. I said, "Nick Suzuki has no chance on this faceoff. He did not even touch the puck." And Patrice won it so clean, and he ended up just under 500. But um, things like that are fun to talk about on air and just to see little nuances like that. And, and so I consider the fact that I probably have six or eight different jobs in life and in the way my life has gone, you know, I've changed jobs that many times. Like I, I, I've changed and done different things. And so maybe the final piece of it is kind of put it all together, but still from a whole bunch of different seats. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I was going to say you, you obviously don't have a whole lot of free time. I wouldn't yeah, right. think with all that you going know, what's on. What's funny about that, though, Derek, is I feel like I do. Um, I really do. And and I, I've got my schedule structured pretty well now. And I'm able to work from home on some of those things I talked about. And 
I feel like I have more time now than I've ever had, which is crazy. It really is. Um, but wow. so it's a game afternoon. I did a lot of my prep yesterday, which was an off day in Montreal. I did a couple of radio shows in the morning yesterday. Um, and so you're, you know, this article will go in Sunday's paper, but I've structured it and I'm writing it Thursday afternoon. And what would I be doing Thursday afternoon? So I, I don't feel like that's work. You know, I've got all my prep done for Detroit and Montreal tonight. And, um, and this will feel really good though. The writing is the, it's the deadline thing, right? Like yeah. Right. It's like, you know, and there have been times when I've gotten writer's block guys and I've talked to, sure. to writers about it, professional writers and said, you know, does this happen? You're like, Oh man, absolutely. It happens. No question about it. But I, I, I don't, it's not like I need a challenge, but it is a, it, it's arguably the most challenging thing I do to come up with something fresh to say on Sundays. Wow. Yeah. I can imagine you've really embodied this whole media thing, right? I mean, you're doing, you're doing it all. You're doing the, obviously the TV, the color, yeah. now you're writing radio. I mean, it's pretty impressive. I mean, if it Very. seems suiting for you, you know, as your character seems to, to show throughout your track record is that you just kind of embody wherever you are in life and what you're doing. I like people, Riley. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think we're spoiled in the game of hockey. Mm -hmm. I, I think we still have some of the greatest people in sport. I really do. I agree. And, you know, I drop into the rink this morning and see some people that I know over the years. And some of them are writers and, you know, different people like the coach of the Detroit Red Wings, Derek Newsy Lalonde was a young, young college guy when I was in the college game. And he was uh, at a division three college and you walk, watch a kid like that work his way up through the USHL and, he's a head coach in the NHL right now. Yeah. And for me to have a conversation with him this morning, or, you know, when I see Detroit Riley, it's just fun. And it's a labor of love. It really is. And, you know, and, and the best part of it tonight will be, you know, I'll meet my broadcast partner, Brian Mudrick about 4:45 in the lobby and we'll go over to the rink and um, get set up. We'll do a couple pregame hits. We'll do a hit for that talkie from our studio. Um, that'll drop into that show at seven o'clock. And then the game starts and you're fired up. It's a game. Like I was, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I saw Detroit a couple times early in the year. They're a team that's on the rise as is Montreal and they're down pretty low right now, but I think both teams are headed in the right direction. So an intriguing story for me, can Stevie Eisenman do in Detroit what he did in Tampa? Yeah. You know, he yeah. didn't reap the benefits in Tampa. He wasn't there technically for the cup, but it's his built stamp it. all yes. over it. 100%. All over And if you look closely at Detroit, some of the same pieces are in place, you know, Maurice Siders, that his young Victor Hedman. And, you know, he's got a young kid, Simon Evanson, who's six foot six, who plays in the, in the minors at 18 years old. And he's wow. drafted his first round goalie, Sebastian Kosa. Is that kid going to be Vasilevsky? You know, yeah. and, mm -hmm. you know who's going to be, who's going to play the role of, of Cooch and Stammer? Or, you know, um, is Lucas Raymond going to be one of those guys? So that part of it is fun. I, I, I think about hockey in a whole bunch of different ways. And and sort of the outlets I have to do it and to talk about it just make it fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly what you're talking about. I wanted to ask, like you you played, you coached hockey operations, like you you wear you know you've worn different hats and you have different perspective, which is important when you're talking, you know, to, to the public around hockey, right? It's just like these different angles around the game that a lot of people may not think about, which I think is important. Absolutely, and you know and. Quite frankly, when I've moved on from one, I haven't really wanted to go back to it or missed it. Um, when I was done playing, I was done playing. I mean, I, you know, I, I played for technically for 13 years, 
I was 37 years old. I started late as a U.S. college player for four years, and then I played a year in Europe before my career. Um, but when I was done, I was done. And the opportunity to come back to go back to Notre Dame and coach. Now, I, I didn't think I was ever a coach. And even after coaching 10 years, guys, I don't consider myself like a coach. Like, I'm not wired like that. Hmm. <laughs> you guys both know coaches. And they're yeah. wired differently. And, yeah. and I didn't feel like I was wired like that at all. And that opportunity just arose. I was playing in Washington my last year, and it was a lockout year. And the phone rang on a Sunday afternoon. And I was watching an NFL playoff game with my neighbor. And we just, cell phones were fairly new at the time. And I remember looking at the phone and saying, ah, that's a weird number. And, and it was someone from Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is a real small university, um, despite its name and, you know, and notoriety over the years. Um, and they said, listen, they're going to make a coaching change in the hockey department. Would you be interested? And I'm like, to do what? <laughs> and, and they sure. said, well, I'm a coach. And I said, well, I'm a player. I'm not a coach. And they said, well, you know, the program's been through some tough times and we need someone to come back and, and basically – and Notre Dame is Notre Dame. They're funny about it. Basically, you have to do this. I'm like, what do you mean I have to? Well, you have to. But, you know, the idea was to raise the girls in one place. And my daughters at the time, uh, two of them were nine and one was five. And we'd already moved, you know, from Philly to Boston to Washington. And it was like, if you stay in the business, you're going to move. So it was an opportunity to go back and raise them in a small town. And, and that's why we made the decision to go. But I still maintain after 10 years, I wasn't a coach. I mean, <laughs> you know, we had some good teams, had some good players and we got the NCAA tournament and did some things. But um, I much preferred the management side, kind of 10,000 feet looking mm -hmm. over the top, you know, consulting with coaches. When I was in my position in Toronto, one of my favorite things I developed with two guys who could be pretty crusty it took me some time but eventually um with ron wilson was my first head coach randy carlisle was my second and i would have breakfast with those guys every game day and you might imagine the first time that that <laughs> happens right it's like you walk into their office it's you know 7 38 o'clock in the morning on game day and you know the first few times you just have a coffee and there's breakfast all set up in the locker room. You just have your coffee and they're having breakfast and you sit and have your coffee. And then one morning you get brave and you bring your breakfast in there. And you know, <laughs> yeah. like, like a, but it led to just some great conversations and I'm getting sure. to know a coach one-on-one -on -one and getting to him to vent, you know, to someone in management. Um, so things like that, it's just so much fun for me. And so I, but that being said, I haven't missed being a manager. I, you know, and we've had some opportunities to get back in and, and, uh, and I've chosen not to, and it's a tough job, boy. It really is. It it's really a multi prong is, yeah. job. Um, I, and I think what you're going to see in the future is, um, is a setup similar to Montreal where there's, there's basically two general managers here, right? I mean, mm -hmm. There is, um, you know, with, with the way they've got it set up, Jeff Gordon took the job as senior vice president. Um, and then um, Kent Hughes, a first time general manager, took the job as general manager. I would look at it as a management team. And I think it takes two people. I really do. It's such a hard job right now. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. I mean, if Flyers have done something similar with Chuck Fletcher and bringing Danny Breer in there, and then, you know, right. they also have, uh, well, the capologist, which is, yeah, uh, Barry Hanrahan. Um, right. Yeah. No, right. Flares there as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Flares. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Three right. assistant. Well, GF. you think about um, the cap itself, that's an animal. 
unto its own. Like sure. in my job now, guys, there's not a day when I don't go on that on cat friendly. There's not a day. Like I spend a ton of time on it just to get the feel of what's going on. And I wasn't our cap guy. Um, Claude Loiselle played that role, but we're all involved and you all have to be involved. It's so complex and so crazy and, and it dictates your every move. Yep. Um, and you, you do need a person dedicated strictly to that, but you know, that's a, that's a group of trio and Philly and, and that's what it takes. Different personalities, different backgrounds. And, um, we all respect and know too much. And, you know, even going back and looking at Boston guys and, you know, the way they're constructed, um, Patrice Bergeron is a 2003 draft pick. I know. I know it's crazy. 20 right? years ago. That's <laughs> 20 years. It's wild. Isn't it? You know, and Krejci's a 2004. And by the way, they were both second rounders. And, and Marshawn's a 2006. And he was a third rounder. And you think, you know, the impatience of, of life today and how everybody wants everything accelerated and, you know, social media and the outcry, you know, and, you know, another team I cover is Ottawa and they're all just, two draft picks are 2001 from 2015 and one from 2018. You're like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it takes time. Like yeah. it takes time. It's really hard. It's, right. it's a hard, hard business today um, to, to grow a team, to keep it together with all the different conflicting things, let alone the pandemic in those three years, which threw another, yeah. you know, wrinkle into the whole thing. It's a tough job. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, for sure it did. Um, I had a question. You kind of brought it up. We Riley and I were talking about it. Um, I didn't realize you had gone to Sweden to play uh, when you had finished college. What What was the reasoning there? So I was, when I mentioned my size going in for my first gas station job, I, I was a really little guy and growing up and, and through the mid seventies, the funniest thing was I got cut from teams guys because I was too small because <laughs> who was the rage of the day? The big bad Bruins. Yeah. And the Broad Street Bullies. That's right. That's right. And that was the direction of hockey. And if you, you know, if you were too small, you were too small. So I'd be the last guy to make my team. I'd lead the league in scoring. And then the next year they'd say, well, you're not going to be able to do it at this age, you know, and I'd go through the whole process again. So I stepped back entirely when I was 16 years old for a year and a half, played house league with my buddies and didn't play competitive. I mean, played competitive hockey. House league is competitive hockey, but it's all relevant. Yeah. <laughs> and stepped right out of it. And no thoughts of playing pro at all. And then when I clicked back in for a half a year of juvenile hockey, and you know, which no one played juvenile hockey that was going on to play in the NHL. And then my break was uh, playing tier two for one year. And I played with a, a pretty famous organization um, called the Dixie Beehives in, in the Toronto area. And uh, got my break there. We were we were really good. We had a, a we had a, one player in particular who had attracted a lot of college interest. So the college scouts started coming out. And I believe 11 kids from that team went to the U.S. on scholarship. Wow. 11 kids. And Impressive. so I had a really, you know, I had really blossoming and coming on as a player. And, and so all of a sudden I had a stack of scholarship offers in front of me, guys, that were just, because it was all word of mouth, right? And so when a school would call, they'd say, who are you talking to? And I'd say, well, I'm talking to Harvard and Princeton and Michigan State and Michigan and Notre Dame. And they would just, you know, add their interest to the pile. And so I went in to see my high school guidance counselor. And I'd always played for club teams, right? I hadn't played for high school. And I went in and had this big stack of, of letters. And he's looking at the schools and he's saying, well, Harvard, Yale, Notre Dame, you can't go to any of those schools. And I said, well, 
I got some news for you, buddy. I can do anything <laughs> I want to. I'm gonna pay when I go there. And uh, but still, no thought of playing pro hockey. And my rookie year at Notre Dame, my freshman year, I was I was really good. And I had a great, great freshman year. And that was 78, 79. But still, no thought of it. And um, my sophomore year, got really sick. I got meningitis, beat up physically. That took some steam out of me probably for a year and a half. Came back, had a great senior year, and then was set to go to work. Like, you know, I got a great education. Essentially, if you will, used hockey to get my education and mm-hmm. yeah. didn't, you know, didn't need anything more from it. So um, a late call. I was going to work that summer and a late call in June. So I'm going to work in August. You know, my career's done. And in June, I got a call to see if I'd be interested in going to a, a division one team in Sweden. So not the elite series, but the next level down. And they had lost their import late in the year. And it was an American coach. It was Teddy Sater who went on to coach with the Flyers in yep. New York and Buffalo. There was coaching over there and he didn't know me. His name was passed on to me. And so he took me sight unseen and then made it his project. He had been in camp with the Flyers the previous year as their skating instructor. Basically, he made it his project to make me into an NHL player. So, you know, the break of breaks, right? One guy who is connected, takes an interest in you and has, he has a skill set that can develop your skill set, you know? And so he just took me to a different level. I'd never been told guys that I had to be the leading goal scorer on the team. Like I'd never been told that. And he said to me, you don't understand. When you're in Europe as an import, you have to be the leading goal scorer, not leading point getter, leading goal scorer. Hmm. So I looked at scoring wow. differently. I just looked yeah. at it differently. I was like, okay, well, I, I could do that. I've just never thought like that. I've always taken more satisfaction out of making the pass to Brian Prop than I did about shooting the puck in the net myself. <laughs> right. and, uh, and by the way, you better pass it to Brian Prop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <exactly. laughs> Only when Tim Kerr wasn't available. Um, yeah. But you know, that was, and, and you'll hear stories like that. That's one guy taking an interest in, in, in a player that he sees something in. And you need a break like that. You absolutely you do. do. I would have been content to go to Europe and play for a year. And then within Sweden, though, I had some opportunities to go up to, um, to the Elite Series. And I had some, you know, some offers in Europe. So had the Flyers thing not happened, maybe I would have you know, maybe I would have stayed in Europe and just made it a career over there. I'd been fine with that, but, uh, came back and signed an amateur tryout offer. So came back in late February, uh, let me think now, uh, the, you know, late January, uh, season's over early over there. It's late January and, uh, and no late February. I'm, I'm all confused here. Uh, mid to late February and came back and, and went to, to Portland, Maine, walked in, Bert Codine and, and Kevin Cady, the two trainers, <laughs> met me literally at the airport. And they're like, where are your sticks? I'm like, I don't have sticks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it was, a, it was a veteran team. It was a talented team coached by Tommy McVie, the legend. Oh, yeah. And I played 16 games there. And once again, everything just connected. The second game, first game, my right winger was Dave Brown. My left winger was Mel Hewitt. Wow. So, so you had a little bit of room? Look up Mel <laughs> Hewitt's numbers, guys. When we're done, look up Mel Hewitt's penalty minute numbers. I think he had like 
five, ten one year in the oh, eye. Wow. That's on the left side. I got Brownie on yeah, my Brownie, right. Yeah. And I oh, think yeah. when I arrived, Brownie had 39 majors at that point. Jeez. And so first night I played maybe six shifts in New Haven. And I thought, okay, well, obviously I've got tons of room out here. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm not passing on the left. I got a chance of passing on the right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before that first game, three guys on my own team came up to me and said, hey, uh, you got to be really careful on Mel. And I said, he's on my team. And they said, yeah, he's, he's taken a couple of his own sentiment out. He's a little bit out of control out there. You, you really got to keep your head up. So I got my head up for the New Haven Nighthawks. I got my head up for my own left wing. Yeah. And I'm thinking, That's crazy. What did I sign oh, up for here? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and then in the second game in Hershey, uh, one of our sentiment got hurt. And I got kicked up in the lineup and just started to rip it up. And I played a total of 16 games. And that year, the Flyers were playing the Rangers in the playoffs. And that was the Herbie Brooks Rangers, you know, um, the Smurfs, and they had all kinds of speed. And so they wanted to inject more speed in the lineup. So I remember one night in Bob McCammon coming to see me play. It was quite a big deal when the head coach of the Flyers was coming to see you play in the minors. But they didn't know much about me, right? And um, so I played. I walked in, called up on a called up on april fool's day like seriously <laughs> i mean duffy's pancake house in portland maine the phone <laughs> rings it's eight o'clock it's a friday we're on our way to new haven to play that night so my first and last games were against new haven so it's like i don't know four or five hour bus ride and and duffy who owns the pancake house says it's keith allen and i'm like yeah and it's april fools so yeah um so i walk over i get the phone and says uh david's keith allen i'm like okay yeah. <laughs> you know like who is it and yeah like, no david it's keith allen and i said wow and so he said we're gonna call you up you're playing tomorrow night in, in maple leaf gardens wow, oh, wow amazing yeah so played in new haven that night and trust me you couldn't get anywhere near me i was like i'm going to the nhl nobody's, <laughs> yeah. near me. nobody's touching me and uh i just Got up the next morning, took a car service to LaGuardia, flew to Toronto, walked in, walked in the front doors. And I'm like, I wouldn't know where the player's entrance was. I wouldn't you know, I walk in the front doors and Usher's looking at me. I got my hockey bag and my sticks. And he's like, what are you doing? I said, well, I, I'm going to play tonight. <laughs> so he, he took me back to the locker room, practice. So about half the team had already left the locker room after the pregame skate. So there were guys I didn't even see until I walked in the locker room that night. And I'd never been in training camp, so I didn't know one single person. Hmm. So it's like, yeah. you know, like, I, like I knew, I knew who Daryl Sittler was. I knew Bobby Clark was. I mean, I was a hockey fan, but didn't know anybody. Right. So really, really strange. And and um, scored in the first period, scored a shorty in the second period. And Jeez, yeah, bad start. Not a bad start. Yeah, yeah. wow, <laughs> that's incredible. I mean, being undrafted. Uh, and then having your first pro season go from Sweden to, you know, crazy, crazy, you know, minor like, leagues and NHL. You know, man, that's story. crazy. It is crazy. It's, it's so crazy. When you think of all the different routes and all the different paths and everyone has a story. Um, it's an unusual one. It's it, a lot of good fortune along the way, a lot of right place at the right time. And, and then taking advantage of an opportunity, yeah. you get an opportunity, you, know, you better grab a hold of it and take advantage of it. And so, um, you know, and then, and then to be blessed by the game, this many years later, I mean, I'm still in the game. Yeah. Who knows where the path would have gone had things been differently, but 
once again, good fortune along the way and taking advantage of opportunity. Sorry for the quick break. Just a quick shout out to our sponsor, DLI Commercial, a premier commercial construction and building maintenance company offering support at every phase. Thank you for your support. Check them out at DLI Commercial for all your construction needs. Back to the show. Well, yeah, you brought up uh, in that first game there a shorthanded goal. You scored a pretty big shorthanded goal uh, in the playoffs, and I just remember coming off the couch, like losing my mind. The Flyers were down 5-3. I'll let you tell it, but, I mean, that was one of the best shorthanded goals, you know, and, and what a time to get it. That's the one guys we talk about the most. When I see people in Philly, and I still do get back there often, um, that's what people will talk about. And it was it was a couple of different things. I'd broken two ribs in the second game of that series, and this was in game six. So I'd sat out games three and four and came back and played in five, um, getting nerve blocks, and then played in six. And in, in that series was all about Pelle Lindbergh, who was just – phenomenal in that series and that was the youngest team in pro sports that year and we were a bunch of kids I mean you think of the ages um so Derek Smith and Zezel would have been 19 years old Tockett would have been 20 the twins were 20 Ronnie and Richie Sutter Murray Craven might have been 21 he might have only been 20 I was just a bunch of kids yeah and you know we ripped through the first couple of rounds and now we we're playing Quebec and so up one nothing in the game second period down two men and I picked up the pass at the top of the circles in our end. So I had a breakaway literally for three quarters of the ice. That's a really long way to skate. Yeah. And, you yeah. were fly- and you were flying. Yeah. And you were flying. <laughs> and way too long a time to think for a non-goal score. Right? I was like, going to ask you that. Oh man. Well, Murray Craven, I could hear his voice just ingrained in my head um, about going upstairs. You got to go upstairs. You got to go upstairs. And uh, got, Got a great shot up under the crossbar, and um, and that made it two nothing. So essentially, a two goal swing because at five three they were looking to maybe go up two one in the game. Right. And you know, had they won it, they were going home for game seven. So, um, but I think the biggest thing about the goal, we ended up winning that game three nothing. The biggest thing about the goal, we were going to the Stanley Cup finals. Right. Yeah. I mean, we were going to the Stanley Cup finals, and that night. Um, that it just it's a different feel the first time you're going there and i was able to go three times in my career again in 87 and then in 90 with the bruins but man the first time you're going to play for the stanley cup the thoughts that go through your head um it's it's a crazy thought process it really is yeah it was it was amazing and it's funny you brought up the ribs my dad was telling me about the needle they were putting in your ribs uh, for the nerve block. And he was like, he's like, they put you in a chair and you kind of sit there and, and this needle like was kind of like not rubber, but it moved like, so they'd have to get up under his rib cage. And he said he would just be a puddle just sweating. But he's like, sometimes it could take 10 to 15 minutes or it could take 30 minutes. Like, I guess trying to get it in there, you would know better than me, but yeah, it wasn't very good. Couldn't have have tickled. That's for sure. (laughs) Not very much fun. So I recently just, I went to see a doctor recently and uh, I just had a little bit of pain in my neck and he said, do you ever break ribs? And I go, ooh. Yeah. Because I broke three in 87 um, spirally in the playoffs again. Barry Beck hit me. So I've had a couple of experiences along the way like that. But um, that was just a, that was such a fun night. And it's one of the, I'm not a big memorabilia guy, but 
I have a picture that somebody took from the balcony right above the goal. And it's just a little uh, eight by 10. And I still got that framed in my, in my office. That's it's a awesome. perfect, I've just released the puck. I'm about, I'm still about 20 feet clear of the closest defender, Mario Marowa. Um, Mario Goslin was the goaltender. Yep. Goose Goslin. And, uh, and you can see the puck right up underneath the bar, but it's a, it's a really cool shot. And That's awesome. Somebody, I, I don't even know how it ended up with me, but somebody either sent the, through to somebody or somehow it ended up, you know, on my desk one day. It's a pretty cool picture. Yeah. It's well, you know, that, that was a huge goal and, and they still show it sometimes on the, on the screen, whenever they're doing some uh, videos, uh, but it's not black all... and white, is it? No, it is not. It is not black and white. Close, though. <laughs> um, I ha- you, you brought up uh, 87 going back to the finals and uh, one of the biggest goals again, JJ Daniel scored. And that uh, six game to four, seven, like I remember my dad just saying he thought the roof was coming off that building when he scored. Yeah, that most goal. people will say that's the loudest they've ever heard the building during my yep. time. Um, and, and the funny thing is JJ wasn't supposed to be on the ice, right? Cause Gretz was on the ice and JJ knew that when Gretz was on the ice, <laughs> it was, it was it we just talked about that recently. And so he ended up going out and getting the biggest goal of his career. Yeah. Um, and that year, you know, we'd gone through what we'd gone through with Pellevinberg, and that yeah. year was all about Hex. I mean, Hex was – I was fortunate, man. I played with some good goalies. I, yeah. You know, you're talking now, and when I'm in the business, somebody will say, well, you know, they played – they won, but they got great goaltending. I'm like, so? They're supposed to get great goaltending. Yeah. What do you mean they got great goaltending? He's supposed to be good. Yeah, exactly. It's a job, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to I was gonna say, uh, you know, you, you land up uh, – obviously becoming the captain of the flyers uh you being an older guy coming into the league like like what was that like and you're ta- you, you took the captaincy from bobby clark at the second second time being the captain of the flyers i mean that's got to be something special it really was riley you know it's something that i still i still treasure that experience and it was a real when it happened it was only my second year in the league yeah and daryl sittler was supposed to be named captain of that team. That's the direction it was going in. And right before the season started, Sittler got traded and we'd been in a luncheon downtown and we thought Sittler would be named captain at that luncheon and it didn't happen. And so if it was maybe a Tuesday and Thursday, the season was opening. And so we had taken the bus downtown. We all get back to the Coliseum and we all went our separate ways. And then maybe an hour later, I got a call from a reporter that Sittler had been traded to Detroit. And, you know, that's all he knew at that point. And he didn't know who was coming back, didn't know who else was in the deal, nothing. But he said, you know, they traded Daryl Sittler. And I'm like, oh, wow. And then maybe another two hours pass, my phone rings. Um, and I'm not sure whether it was, was uh, Clarkie or Mike Keenan. One of those two called me and said, could you come back to the Coliseum? And I thought, I'm in the trade. Like oh, I'm, she's yeah. getting traded. And so I drove back to the Coliseum. I remember walking into Mike's office and, and, and Clarky was in there. And uh, and I sat down like I had no idea why I'm in there. Right, Like talk about being called in the principal's office and not knowing what you did wrong. Right. But then remembering everything you did do wrong. And <laughs> one, of your, one of those things. Was, like, exactly. Man, I'm sure I got away with that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was... 
it was Mike that said, Dave, we're, we're, you're going to be the next captain of the Philadelphia Flyers. And it was, wow. You wow. Just, it was just a chill goes over you. And, and I was so careful and I don't even know why or how I came up with this, this thought process, but I was always so careful to say I was following Bobby Clark, not replacing Bobby Clark. Like no one was going to replace Bobby Clark. Right. Don't put that on me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was following Bobby Clark, but, um, so uh, then your immediate thought is, okay, well, I had a really good rookie year, but now what, what do they want different? What am I supposed to change? What do I, what do you do when you're captain? All those different things. And it was the group of guys around me. Like we had some excellent leadership in that locker room and, and Brad Marsh had been a captain already uh, in his early twenties in Calgary. Uh, Mark Howe, Brad McCrimmon was unbelievable. The dear departed Brad McCrimmon as a leader. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of quieter leaders, you know, emerged, um, Timmy Kerr and Brian Propp in their own way. Um, and then the young guys, Rick Tockett was on that team and, you know, he was going to grow into a force, but it was all the support that I had around me. And we didn't officially have leadership groups like they have now or leadership committees or whatever they call them. Um, but we had a de facto one and I got a ton of support from those guys. And you just remember when I'd be going in a meeting and, and a couple of those guys would grab me and say, anything you want, we got your back. And, you know, you'd go in so confident in the meetings because you said, that's some pretty tough guys behind me. And, um, and it was, it was by committee. And, and a lot of it was how to figure out how to handle our madman coach at the time. Mike. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. A lot of it. And, you know, was trying <laughs> to calm the waters and, do we did and Mike was brilliant in the way he pushed and prodded and cajoled and intimidated and all the different things he did to get out of you what he thought you had and years later I played I we were at a wedding of some sort um thinking exactly whose it was but I played golf with Craig Berube and Scotty Mellonby and, and and I think Murray Craven was in the group and begrudgingly this was post playing career begrudgingly each of them would admit that that Mike was arguably their best coach and also who got the most out of them. As much as they, as much as they couldn't stand them. Just so challenged. So challenging. Yeah. Yeah, Chief actually said that to us as well, but it's, that was where I was going to ask you next, just like dealing with, you know, you're the captain. So you're probably that guy that goes in to try to, I don't know. Talk, talk some sense. Talk some guy. sense into him, or, or not. I, I guess obviously you obviously would walk in there and say that, but um, try to mediate, I guess, or try to get him off this guy, or what you know. I, I couldn't even imagine going in there to Uncle yeah, Mike, as I Mike. called him Uncle Mikey <laughs> as a kid. That's what I called him. But uh, I, was that your first time ever dealing with a coach like that, or you know, he was it might have been the first and last. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he was unique. He was he had a method and he believed in his methodology and he couldn't argue with the success he had. And I thought there was a different way to do it. And that was a lot of the argument and I could sense it. Um, I considered myself to be the liaison between the players and the coaches. Like my responsibility was to help get his message across because he, he's the boss. And so as the boss, you know, I was going to help him in any way I could to get his message across. And, and effectively we were a team and, and, you know, we got into our share of battles for sure. Um, but once again, the end result was we were a pretty good hockey club. Yes. 
how would you say your relationship with him was considering you know how he was and you know in, in your position as a captain it was good he wasn't always fair riley i didn't think he was always fair um but he would justify fairness with result right hmm. and, and when you do something i'd be like mike you didn't have to do that like you didn't and i particularly particularly when he was really hard on certain individuals you know i profess there'd be a different way to do it um you know and, and i'll give you a good example and i don't know how well you got to know this these, this guy over the years but um you know another fellow that left us far too early ilka sinasalo oh yeah oh, real yeah, well such a a kind person and such as you know unbelievably talented player but guess what if you yelled at ilka you weren't getting more out of him yeah. you just weren't so for me my challenge would be to grab ilka in the stick room and literally get right up in his face and say in this tone of voice buddy we really need you tonight like we need you like you're really good we need you to be the difference maker tonight to me that was more effective with that personality been screaming and yelling at him and telling them you know that it just didn't work right you did he scored 39 goals in the national hockey league and i asked him one day i said you know you can get 50 goals he goes ah then they want 55. yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really? good point right i mean it was yeah. that good you know so for me it was i thought you know i i understood what he was doing i didn't always agree with what he was doing and and that made it hard for me because i'd have to go to the guys and say okay you know i'd try and soften it or change the angle or change the the delivery a little bit um different day and age yeah totally right different day and totally. age with players yeah you'll never see that again right it's like it's, i don't it's think so Riley. so much I communication now i don't you have to communicate you yeah. absolutely have to um ej mcguire was a big part of mike keenan's success because he was the good cop to, mm, yeah. Mike, to Mike's bad call. Um, and so, and you need, you know, the staffs are much bigger now. They weren't big staffs. The, certainly the staffs, management and coaches are much bigger now. And, um, you know, you, you have to, we found each other probably to vent with and talk to, um, whereas now there's probably people available to do that. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> it's amazing how much it's funny. You just said that how, how much staff has increased. Oh, I remember yeah. my first year, uh, 93, 94, we could fit all the gear in a moving van, not a truck, yeah. a van. And now it's like a rock show, you know, <laughs> you know, I've been out three years now almost. And, but you know, traveling people, are like, oh, I'm having trucks. Did you have, I'm like, oh, about close to 20, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, 50 to 20. but it's strange. the same with the staff. You're yeah, traveling exactly. with more staff and all that. It's crazy where it's gone. That's for sure. The whole game. Yeah. How, how do you liken the, the the new NHL? I mean, you obviously you come from an era where it was you know you know evolved from the Broad Street bullies, and you know you're 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 still you're still kind of part of that culture. Uh, obviously, evolved a ton since then. You know, skill, the speed, you know, the the off ice strength, conditioning, the nutrition, all these resources for the players. I mean, what's your perspective on the modern day NHL? Uh, I like the game. I don't like all the components of the game. Mm -hmm. um, the skill level is off the charts. I don't know if that makes you a better hockey player. All right. That's a good point. I, good I, point. I, I, good I point. think, you know, yeah, they can do some skilled things that I would never dream of doing. I'm not sure you're a better hockey player than I do. And, and that's all the way around. And, you know, the best players could play in any generation. I don't think yeah. there's a question about that. And, and as much as, 
as you know speed is it's faster i'm not sure it's better i think there's an art to slowing the game down i think mm -hmm. there's an art to you know to pace um you know i i think someone that thinks and is creative with their mind can make up for any speed deficiency i mean you talk about a patrice bergeron it, you know not a burner there's a young kid in winnipeg i really like and remember the knock in the draft being wow he's not quite a burner um his name is cole perfetti really oh, yeah. smart really smart like so if he's a quarter of a step slow riley you'd say well his brain makes up for it yeah exactly which way um he, one thing i don't like i don't like that kids aren't used to getting hit yeah um, right and i think you know, when we see, we've seen a recent spate of, of shoulder injuries with one team that I cover and they asked me about it and I said, I'm not sure kids are used to getting hit enough. Like they get to the NHL and, and you're allowed to make a hit. And, and I think of the hit that, um, that Truba had on Athanasiu. And oh, Athanasiu, there was a huge outcry from Athanasiu, like, you know, we, 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 we had your <laughs> head down, you're saying exactly. 100 miles an hour. You can skate so much faster than me. And I stood up and made a perfectly clean body check. But because you're not expecting or used to getting hit, you know, it, it provokes an, out, an outroar and an outrage. And it, it concerns me. I worry, you know, and it's different in different areas about when hitting starts. Um, in many ways, the first Flyers team I joined, about half the guys would have worn helmets in games. You didn't hit a guy up high when he had a helmet on. You didn't without a right. helmet. You just didn't hit him up high. You didn't have a helmet on. Yeah. And there was a respect factor. And then when you saw, you know, and while I played college, we went from no face gear to full masks after my second year. Oh. So I went, so all of a sudden my second year, my third year, I had a full cage up. Well, now all of a sudden was everybody was running head first into each other. And yep. No one had respect for the other guy, but no one had respect for their own head. Mm -hmm. yeah because they thought they were invincible and so that part of it like hitting from behind when we were kids you just you just didn't hit somebody from behind and then it became a big deal you know because you're gonna you were taught to protect the puck so you turn your back to the play well there's some guys to this day i don't care who they were i'm not turning my back to them some of the guys I yeah, yeah right, ever right. ever like, i'm yeah. not turning back to them at a cocktail party yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, <right. laughs> so, so um that part concerns me I, I like hitting i think hitting should be a part of the game um i like the speed I, I love the skill um from a goalie standpoint i worry i worry about goalies and injuries as well and and we're gonna lose the um the idea of the ultimate number one goaltender um, those guys have to be so gifted and so special before they start to play. Then they have to have the work ethic and the training and everything. Then they have to have the size. So who are truly number ones in the National Hockey League right now? Connor Halbuck is. Um, Shesterkin is. Um, Sorokin is. Um, Vasilevsky is. You know, you might get to six or seven, you'd say, arguably, are truly number ones. Uh, UC Soros might be. But it's going to become a tandem, and it's going to become a tandem because of how physical the position is. Right. This seam pass, this bullet seam pass across, 
you know, I'm on a two-on-one. I got a great shooting opportunity. Instead, I'm going to make a 60-foot bullet seam pass. The pass is harder than my shot was. It's perfectly placed. And then the next shot's going on the net equally hard. Well, think of physically what that does to a goaltender. Oh, yeah. And and I think physically these guys are just going to have a hard time holding up. And if you watch how many teams have used three and four goaltenders this year, um, because physically the demands on these guys are crazy. And when they were going down in the butterfly, the, the surgery of rage was the hip, right? Everybody was having to have their hips done. But now you're seeing knees and yep. you're seeing, you know, when people ask me, could Carey Price come back? You know, he, it's the knee is the issue. I think it's the physical way the game has to be played by a goaltender now. He could come back to the old NHL. The new one moves far too lateral. Um, you know, these scene passes, uh, I love watching them, but oh my God, the scene passes that come across on a power play. Oh, it's insane, isn't it? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And then the ability to shoot the puck off the pass. You know, there were always guys with good one-timers, right? There were always guys, oh, he can shoot the puck. Just throw a blanket over now. Everybody can shoot the puck like everybody yeah. can. And um, so, you know, overall, I like the skill of the game. Um, but I also like the thinking part of hockey. And, and, and we can't ever lose that. And, yeah. and from a fighting standpoint, I think it'll leave the game organically. I don't want to rule it out. I think it'll leave the game. It is leaving the game. Yeah, it Let's is. Yeah. It. It's leaving the game, right? Um, but I always felt from a respect standpoint that there was a place in the game for it. Yeah. Because you had to respect your actions. I couldn't hit you over the head with a stick, you know, yeah. because because it would precipitate, you know, response. Yeah, exactly. Right? That, that element of accountability is a very powerful one, right? Absolutely, Ronnie. Absolutely. And because with accountability comes respect, right? Yeah. Yep. And you knew going in and you knew, I mean, you know, the role that, that you were so capable of, you also respected each other um, within that role. Mm -hmm. And you knew there were some guys that skirted the edges, but for the most part, I haven't met many tough guys um, that didn't have a great deal of respect for what they had to do to play the game, for the game itself, and, and how hard it was to play. Yeah, I agree with that. And I guess that's the, 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 the struggle I have with, I guess, the current game is like, it just seems to be a little bit less respect. Like, there's just like... In, in, in a lot of different forms, yeah. It just it just bothers me. And I know we're not going to go back to the Broad Street Bullies. Not that I would ever suggest that would be an ideal uh, situation, but um, it just it, it just it seems like that essence has been lost a little bit. Um, where maybe it's the culture that we're living in now. You know, I think we just become a little bit softer and uh, things are a little bit you know a little bit easier. I'm not sure exactly, but I, th I feel like that respect has been yeah. some some bit forgotten. Yeah, it's. It's a challenge. There's no question about it. And, yeah. you know, and along the way, um, you know, when I was a college coach, the kid I would get into Notre Dame, number one, he'd be a great student. Number two, he'd be a great kid. Um, number three was the best hockey player from his area. And all of a sudden somebody had to say no to him. And that was me. I'm like, no, yeah. you're not in the first power play. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. I've always been the first power play my whole life. Yeah. Well, yeah. You're not anymore. There's, yeah. you know, and, and you think of the first round draft pick coming in with flyers and saying, you know, I'm on the first power play and say, 
you know, we got a guy that does that, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> know your role. Yeah. I know you're the best in what you did, but you know, you, you, you get drafted by Edmonton and you've been a first power play guy your whole life. And they say, yeah, well, um, we have a, a guy who wears number 97. Number 29, <laughs> He's okay. And, He's okay. <laughs> They're both all right. I, I know you were the best guy in, you know, Wausau, Wisconsin or wherever you're from, but these guys are really good. Um, and, and they're going to be on our power play. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's so true. I, I love the way you described, uh, you know, the, the most skilled guy is, is not necessarily the best hockey player. And I think I think that gets lost, you know, where, we, where we're teaching the game now is like it is just taught ultra skilled and we've almost like forgotten to teach the, the, the hockey IQ or the essence of it because there's some things that will never change within the hockey game that I feel like it's gone, you know, when you're teaching the game, it's gone so skilled. Like you're seeing like five and six year olds being doing incredible stuff with the puck stuff that I, you know, never be able to do, you know, even my son Elvis yeah, I know, does right? things. I, I mean, not that I played hockey, but you're right. But like, you know, but when you're teaching the game, like there's some fundamentals that like will never leave. And that is the, the glue of the game. Yes. You need skill. You need speed and all that stuff now. But like you, you mentioned, slowing the game down and being able to think the game, uh, you know, thoroughly. I'm thinking some of the games guys I played with, weren't the fastest, you know, but like, you know, I'm thinking like chemo team and some of these guys just had the game way to slowing the game down. We're just thinking Even the game. Prongs so a little bit, is that you know, prongs? Yeah. Prongs. Yeah. Just like some of these sure. guys just like, um, but yeah, I, I like that you said that for, for, you know, any, you know, ho hockey dads out there, even young guys listening. Cause I think, you can get caught up in, in all that skill and all the analytics and all this stuff. But, you know, the, the, the core of hockey is obviously competing heaviness, uh, you know, thinking the game thoroughly. Um, Cause I think that's almost being lost when you're teaching the, the game to the youth. Now you need all the elements for sure. And, you know, you look at a team that wins and you've got to have the elements. Mm -hmm. and it's not just pure skill. It's just not, there's a will factor involved in the game and that's what makes it great. And, yeah. and I do, I do, I mean, I really hope we never lose that. We can't ever lose that. Um, the skill side of it is, is it's funny to watch. And the other thing I get is I like, you know, kids that play different sports. And yeah, I, I had a buddy of mine whose kid was a great baseball player and he was a goalie. And when he was like, he had only been like 12 years old when the, the hockey coach was saying, well, you can't play baseball anymore. Now he's a big time baseball player, like one of the best in the city. And I said, you tell your hockey coach if he wants him bad enough as a goalie, that he'll get him when he gets him. And you keep playing baseball. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I don't know if you guys would even know this. And I, I don't want to digress here, but um, one of my favorite golfers is Jordan Spieth. Hmm. Do you know all the sports that Jordan Spieth played? No, I've never so heard. He was a pitcher in baseball. He was a point guard. And he was a quarterback. Wow. wow. And his brother played D1 basketball at Brown. I, I didn't know that. And I, I don't know, he, I, when I watch him golf, I think like he's just, some of the shots he comes up with and some of the things he does, it just looks like, like he's an all round guy. Right? Yeah. Right. He's done other things. He's not just a golfer. And even his compete level and, you know, he won so much early and, you know, and step back a little bit, but I think he'll be a force again. He's still a young guy. So I encourage other sports, some of the best lacrosse players, like guys like Joe Newendike and, um, and Adam Oates was a great lacrosse player. You think about Oatesy passing a hockey puck, and you can just see the lacrosse, you know, that little thing. Little snap. That little, yeah. yeah, that little back and forth with the lacrosse yeah. stick. And you can just see Oatesy with his hockey stick dropping the shoulder four times before he actually passes the puck, you know, the, the deception involved in that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'd encourage multiple sports.
Yeah, yeah, I I fully agree with that. You hear this in the strength and conditioning side of things. Like you 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 want to draft athletes. Like you 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 want an athlete, not just a a one dimensional hockey player. I think there's so much to be said. Thinking, you know, just 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 different skill sets, uh, different perspective. I I fully agree with that. It's uh, it's important for for the for the youth to to keep playing other sports for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome, Dave. Well, I know you're probably going to squeeze in a pregame nap before the game tonight. I don't know what you got going on. Article there, to write, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, my bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Today's the deadline. One or the other. So here's yeah, the right. strategy. I think golf goes on. The golf channel goes on in the background. Um, they're out at Torrey Pines, which I love Torrey Pines, and I've had an opportunity to play it. So the golf channel will be on the background. Um, I've prepped the article. So now it's just sitting and figuring out. It's the, it's the start that's the hard part. Yeah. got to put words down then you can move them around but you got to start and put words down oh that's, that's awesome. awesome well it sounds like you got to figure it out you got a nice uh nice structure to your schedule and uh now we appreciate you hopping on yes, taking out the sure. time and really nice seeing yeah, you this is great guys i enjoyed my time in philly so much and i enjoy always getting back there good luck with this and uh and good luck moving forward thank you so much appreciate same it same to you all right, a big thank you to Dave Poolin. What a guy. Nice. Great guy. Great guy. Captain, the Flyers. A uh, couple good runs there. Yeah, I was no here and uh, appreciate him jumping on with us. Good dude, man. Yeah, hell of a career. Not drafted. Playing career, coaching career. Yeah. Uh, definitely a good steward of the game. Yes, for sure. Now, nice. it's that time. It is that time. you got to wake it up. For another bottle? Oh, clear, clear on questions. The clear questions. Yeah. Not another bottle. And not, not another put one down already. <laughs> yeah, you have asked. <laughs> Clearrum.com, baby. Baller. Drew Tilly over on Twitter. He said he's got a random one, but he wants to know why Nitty wore a plain white mask in his rookie season with the Phantoms. Ooh, good question. Do you know the answer to that? I didn't think he did. Um uh, This was actually the mask he wore. His rookie year. With the Phantoms? Yes. Hmm. Because oh. I didn't really understand it. It's a finished thing, and it didn't really match because it was red. Maybe there was a game or two that he rocked the white? or. Uh, he may have, man. I'd have to l- really go back and look at that. Sorry, I'd have to go back and look at that. But uh, I remember Bob wearing a white one for a while. I actually have that mask as well. Hmm. Um, but, gosh, I don't remember Nitty wearing... A white mask for the whole year, I, like I said, because he came without one, and his other mask had a Phantom of the Opera on it the okay. year you were there, his second year. So um, that's a good question. I really yeah, right? don't remember him wearing a white one that long because, like I said, that was the one he wore. So I hope that answers. I don't know if it really answers oh, the nice question. Had the, the helmet I actually right had here, it right yeah, there. Right. That's why I was like, do I have that one down here? But, oh, uh, yeah. Impressive. So I, I, he may have worn uh, a white one for a while, but then – that was the mask he wore most of the year. All right. Eric Simpson over on Instagram. If you're in a shootout and you run out of guys, can a goalie actually take a shot? Do you guys know? I don't think. I, I don't, don't know, but I don't think. I, I don't would think say that's no. That's possible, yeah. I, I would mean, say no. I think I'm, the rotation just starts over, whoever you want to pick. Elvis Elvis would say yes if yeah, he was in well, that because he, he wants to go down and try to snipe. But uh, I don't know, though. Shesterkin. Well, that one timer the other night he took and just missed the net, man. He, I don't know, he might be able to shoot the puck well enough to do that, but I don't think he, I don't think that's allowed. I don't think so, no. One last one, 
Matej Kubinek over on Instagram. Who's the best Slovak in Flyers history? Ooh, wow. What do you say, Nas? You've seen God. more of them than I have. Oh, man. I have to really think about that. Uh, Stefan Ruzicka. <laughs> <laughs> Flyers history. <laughs> Um, well, see, yeah, what was like uh, Mez comes to mind? Mez, yeah, I was yeah. Michael say, Zeus. Ra- yeah, well, Zeus would probably be fan Zeus. favorite, right? right, uh, right. Mez was a good play, hell of a player, yeah, right. actually. Um, but I would, I would say baller. I'd have to, I would have to go with Hanzus. I because yeah, I can't right. think of, Zeus. I can't think of uh, which which guy Bronco. Oh, yeah, Bronco. Yeah, he wasn't here long enough. Um, I actually liked it. his game. He was an yeah. energetic little fucker, yeah, but uh, but I would have to say Zeus. What yeah. a good dude! Too. Yeah, he was a good Zeus, dude. Zeus, a good man. Yeah. Well, that's a wrap. Clear questions. Clear questions. Check out Clear Rum on clearrum.com. Dot com. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> of course, Nas. <laughs> and uh, be sure to submit your questions if you guys got anything for us. Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and be sure to subscribe if you guys are liking the content. Until next week. For episode 104 and ask for creeping 104 check us out until then stay safe knuckleheads see you guys mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.